Joanna, do you ever wish you could definitively prove that you had the right opinions about movies? Uh, yeah, Neil, because I do have the right opinions about movies and television. Right, Dave? No, because I'm more right about those things, and I demand trial by content. Oh boy, what is trial by content? Each week, we'll take on a huge question. Each of us will bring a choice, and combined with listener submissions and your votes, we will come to a decision. It's trial by content every Tuesday on Spotify, TheRinger.com, or wherever you're listening right now. Don't let Neil win. Don't let Dave win. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome on today's show. We've got Nick Khan, the president of the WWE. You have to tune in to see if he will give me a pile driver, a, I don't know what the moves are called. Tune in. Nick and I have a great conversation about the WWE, the future of wrestling, the Peacock deal, uh, and WrestleMania this weekend. But first, I got to give Lucas a little bit of credit. Uh, Lucas Shaw was on the show on Monday, and we were going over the ratings from the Oscars, and he predicted that the slap heard around the world would not materially influence the ratings. Turns out he was pretty right. They did go up in that 15-minute corridor when Will Smith took a shot at Chris Rock, if you've been under a rock, they did. They went up about 555,000 viewers, which in the grand scheme of things, the average was 16.6 million viewers, um, was okay, but it wasn't sustained really. They dropped off right after that. And then they went up, the viewers went up again during Will Smith's speech, but then trailed off again. So, you know what, it, it, it did help things, but really it just shows that the live event moment, which used to be a television phenomenon, is now largely a digital media phenomenon. ABC reported yesterday that the social interactions for the show were way up, you know, 20, 22 point something million social reactions, which is not a surprise. I mean, everyone was going nuts online. And that's, I think, increasingly where these live events are being consumed. It'll be interesting to see how the Oscars and other award shows ultimately migrate to that space because there's a lot of opportunity there. If you could create a extravaganza that lives on television but has exclusive online components to it, you could really engage an audience there. But we'll see if the Academy is savvy enough to eventually do that. All right, let's get to my interview with Nick. I'm Matt Bellany. And this is The Town. All right, I'm here with Nick Khan. He is the president of WWE. And if you don't know what that is, you're probably not listening to this podcast. So we're going to get right into it. WWE is one of the most fascinating media entities to me because, first of all, it's a publicly traded company. And it has had a dynamic 
leader throughout its entire existence in Vince McMahon, now his daughter, Stephanie. And you stepped into that role a couple of years ago. You were a longtime talent agent at CAA and you were the um, you were the head of television at CAA and involved in tons of sports rights deals. Uh, including the WWE, and that's how you met these guys, right? So what made you a lifetime agent type, and you fit the bill? I've always known you as the consummate agent type. What made you want to be the leader of a group like this? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. And just quickly, tell me what it means. I've always seen you as the consummate agent type. Compliment, you're working the negative, room. No, that's that a great – you're working the room. You know everybody. You're looking for an angle. You you do – you're an agent. Oh. Uh, That's how I've always known you. But I imagine that those skills translate. Yeah, look, I I think um, there's a couple things on it. So I had the good fortune of getting into the WWE's business as their agent, as you mentioned, while I was at CA. And just to clarify, I was the co-head of television, not the head of television. Appreciate the hype, though. I I don't want to know who else it was, but I'm sure someone who was very upset about (laughs) it. I appreciate (laughs) you being my agent and putting me into that spot. So uh, we had had some success together. So in 2017, we all started working on the U.S. media rights deal together. It was reported at $130 million a year as the AAV for Raw and SmackDown, our two weekly shows. We got in business together, and there was a heavy multiple on that. I think it went to 3.6 times or something to that effect for those rights. So when you have success with somebody, it gives you even a better glimpse into the world in which they live. And in doing some other deals with WWE, the Hulu deal at the time, some stuff in the UK, we had also had some failures together. Also a good thing when you want to get into business with somebody. So when Vince called me about 18 months or so ago and said, hey, there's an opportunity here. I want to hire someone who I, Vince, think is a non-traditional executive for this role. And, you know, I'd like to talk to you about it. Uh, My wife and I had bailed on Los Angeles a couple months into COVID with our children. We had gone to Hawaii. And the thought is, and you know this drill, Matt, as a working parent, because of the time difference there, be done with work at 3 o'clock local or whatever it might be. And you're in the pool with kids and barbecuing. It was all great. Uh, And Vince said, hey, let's get together and talk about it. So he was not interested in me telling him how great Hawaii was. He was interested in getting together the next day. So I flew on a nonstop Honolulu to New York. We got together and we shook hands on a deal. So WWE has made some interesting choices. It had its own streaming service. It was actually a pioneer in this space. I remember when they went over the top, so to speak, with its own streaming service. And it was successful. It was doing pretty well. But you guys made the decision to essentially abandon that and link up with Peacock. Tell me why that made sense for WWE and what kind of results you're seeing from that move. So in 2014, when Vince and company launched the OTT network, WWE Network only had to be the third best to be the third best in the world after Netflix and Hulu. As we went into 2021, it was a cluttered SVOD, AVOD marketplace, as you know. So one of the early conversations Vince and I had in the new role was, hey, you know, we're not a tech company. So for a company with a four-point billion or so market cap to be competing technologically against the Comcasts of the world, the Disneys of the world, et cetera, companies with $250 billion plus market caps, that would not prove financially possible over time. So we both sort of in the room said together, let's focus on what we think we do best in the world, which is producing content sports entertainment content and the offshoots of it. And let's license this product out just like we license Raw and SmackDown out. And that's how we came to the deal with Peacock. But Peacock is not Netflix or Hulu. It has a smaller 
footprint so far. So some might look at this and be like, eh, it's Peacock. You know, shouldn't have they shouldn't they have gone with one of the big boys? But how do you see it? Look, I understand everything you're saying on it. Uh, keep in mind, NBCU is a longtime partner of WWE. It goes back 30 years. Monday Night Raw was launched on USA. So even though there was a break, you know, 15, 20 years ago when WWE went to the National Network, which or the Nashville Network, which became the National Network, which became TNN, which became Spike, uh, it ultimately went back to USA. So to me and to Vince in business, when an incumbent wants something that you have, you got to give them every opportunity for it. And there should be a home team, hometown discount. That's just the way we look at it. So when Peacock came so aggressively, even though there were other suitors for it, they wanted it. The numbers obviously made sense. And we wanted to give them the chance that they had given us as a company. I That's a good answer. I I think some, in, especially in the investment community, think that, that Comcast, NBCU might ultimately be an acquirer of the WWE. And you guys don't talk about that very often, but at some point that might be on the table, right? Look, you know, as we say, we're open for business. So if you look at what does NBCU slash Comcast lack that they need, and I think it's a factual statement, they don't have the intellectual property that some other companies have. They certainly don't have the Disney treasure trove of IP, nor should they. But if you've had the experience, I'm not suggesting good or bad, have you taken your kid yet to Universal Studios? Actually, we're going next month. You'll see what you've already read about. You'll see a Jaws ride, which they can't do anything with. I'm sure they'd love to have an annual summer Jaws limited series on Peacock. They can't do it unless Spielberg agrees to it, and obviously he has not. You'll see a Harry Potter ride, which is obviously Warner. You'll see, I think it's open now, a Mario Brothers thing, which is Nintendo. So in terms of their own IP for their theme parks, you'll see minions yeah. all over the place. Well, that's the thing. My, my kid saw a commercial for a Secret Life of Pets ride, and he was like, I want to go there. So we're going. It matters. Yeah. Right, it matters. So I, I think they look at us, or at least the way I'd like to think they look at us, is an entity that has a treasure trove of intellectual property. A lot of it has been largely not exploited yet. We're in the process of doing that. There's a bunch of scripted and unscripted announcements we have this week, which is WrestleMania week, this coming weekend, big week for us. So now it's up to us to monetize it properly and to show the community exactly what we have. Now, you mentioned the IP. The IP are your stars. And, you know, you guys own those characters. You have a, you know, vested interest in growing them. Um, do you worry that some of those stars are sort of aging or, you know, long in the tooth and that you guys are everywhere in Hollywood, people are struggling to make new stars? And that's obviously the biggest, biggest challenge for WWE. What are you doing to create new stars? And is it more difficult in this fractured media environment? I think it's definitely more difficult. So even if you look at, let's say, a Logan Paul, for example, who's wrestling a match for us this coming weekend along with The Miz. If you look at Logan Paul, if YouTube and all the social media platforms did not exist, let's say it was 15 years ago or so, could he have been the next big WWE superstar? Sure. But he figured out a way to go make a ton of money without having to do that. So we've made a massive pivot. And then you came to him. Correct. We came to him. So it used to be you'd get, for example, boxers on the downside of their career 
Joe Lewis, Muhammad Ali coming to quote-unquote wrestling. Now you're getting them on the upside. Floyd Mayweather 15 years ago, Tyson Fury a few years ago. So I think the athletes see the benefit of our platform. But in terms of creating new full-time stars, we've completely shifted our recruiting efforts. Um, We have a big tryout this week in Dallas, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at the Star, which is the Jerry Jones facility there. Uh, And what our point in recruiting is, is, hey, to these Division One, Division One AA athletes, men and women, let's talk the men for a moment. If you're a football player, if you're not going to make it to the NFL, if you're not going to make it to the XFL or the USFL or whatever the other options are, if you're just a step short or a step, let's say, not big enough, come to us and let's make it easy for you. So the perhaps even better example, Matt, if you look at a shot putter in college, What's that man or woman going to do next? Are they going to go get an office job? Like we eventually got some version of an office job. Are they going to go into pharmaceutical sales? Are they going to go work at UPS? Are they going to come take a look at us? So we want to make this easy for all of those athletes. And that's not just limited to Division I and one AA, junior college athletes. If you look at ethnicity-wise, I'm not convinced that a first-generation Mexican-American kid in Los Angeles is going to the East Coast to go away to college. They may be going to junior college. They may have family responsibilities, whatever it is. We want to go after those kids as well and make it easy for them to come to us. Interesting. Uh, You know, I have this vision of the WWE writer's room. (laughs) That may not be reality, but I see Vince as like the showrunner. He is, you know, he's like a Shonda Rhimes where he's plotting out what this is going to be, giving big picture notes, and then the writers kind of fill it in. Is that how it works? Or give me a taste of what a writer's room looks like for WWE. Clearly, you have a mole inside of WWE. That's really what it looks like. Is it? It it is. And I think there's similarities to Shondaland. I think there's similarities to the Lorne Michaels world. And Vince and Lorne obviously have a ton of history together. If you remember in the Ebersol days in the 80s, Saturday night's main event, which was WWE programming, would air about once a month in the place. I used to watch that as a kid. It was big. It was how probably how I started watching SNL because you would watch wrestling on Saturday night. That's exactly right. If you could stay awake. Mm-hmm. Remember, that was like the big battle right. you know, back then. Um, but they have a lot of history. It was Vince who called Lorne uh, 20 years or so ago to say— I promise you, I promise you, I have the next big thing here. you got to let this guy host your show. I know, I know, he's just a wrestler, this and that. But you got to meet this guy, Dwayne Johnson. He's a big deal. Dwayne went in to meet Lorne, hosted Saturday Night Live 20 years ago, and that was really the first step in Dwayne Johnson's career outside of the ring. Who do you see these days as the average WWE viewer, consumer, super fan? Is it who I think it was from 20, 25 years ago, or has that evolved? Just a question back for you. You said you watched Saturday Night's Main Event mm-hmm. as a kid. Did you go to public school as a kid? I did. And you graduated high school around 93? Mid-90s. Yeah. Mid-90s. So to me, if you grew up in the 80s or 90s and you went to public school, you watched WWE. Why is that? Why does public school matter? I, I feel because— for the masses? I feel <laughs> it was we're for the masses, and, and we can never lose sight of that. And it can't be, oh, we're just targeted towards certain cities that are perceived as, you know, the bigger cities, if you will. We try to target towards everybody. Mm-hmm. If you see some of the scripted programming that's working these days, Yellowstone, for example, we believe that's targeted to everybody. We've been doing that. Vince has been doing that for 30 plus years. So to me, public school I bring up because a lot of kids in the 80s didn't have cable. So if you didn't have cable, 
And you had, at the time, three networks before Fox even launched. You had Saturday mornings, which was part of the brilliant, many of the brilliant things Vince has done, Saturday morning syndicated programming on network TV. And then you had the network network programming Saturday nights. So if you didn't have cable, you could sample this kind of thing, which you really couldn't find anywhere else. That's yeah, you, why I asked the question. And you guys carve up those rights pretty brilliantly. It's, it's interesting, the model. I've always been fascinated because it's not just the Heartland or wherever that sell out. I went to a WrestleMania or a, wasn't WrestleMania. I think it was Friday night event in uh, at Staples Center, and it was packed. Packed. And the thing is, like the model of WWE is crazy because you make money on that, then you're broadcasting from that event. You own all the characters, and then you spin them off into the programming. So give us a taste of what the programming slate is right now and what's coming. Yeah, and by the way, yes, in the in the bigger cities, we do as well share-wise in terms of viewership as we do in the smaller cities. So it's really programming that appeals to everyone. We also now have the kids who are watching it in the 80s and 90s, let's say you, let's say Bill Simmons, all of a sudden in these positions, in my opinion, of power where your voice matters. And you could say, yeah, I used to watch it as a kid. So I think 20 years or so ago, Vince would have to pitch the product and beg people to take meetings. Certainly there were no podcasts then, but beg people to do an interview. If you remember, contentious interview with Armin Katayan on Real Sports with Costas on his show. We'll get to that. Right, People had no respect mm-hmm. for a product that, in my opinion, should have been respected and now is respected far more than it was. So folks like you and Billy make it easy. Yeah, yeah, we grew up with it. Yeah, happy to get together and talk about this stuff. It's a lot easier to sell now than it was then. Yeah, I mean, some of the attention does come on the group of, over the relationship with the wrestlers. And there's been you know, claims of, of abuse and people who have had negative uh, negative experiences with the group. But what have you done or are you doing anything to change that impression? And how does how is the relationship? If I asked a not the stars, if I asked, you know, middle-of-the-road wrestler for WWE. How, how, how do you feel you're treated? What would that person say? Look, I, I think, number one, everyone's treated humanely, mm-hmm. which everyone obviously deserves to be treated that way. I do think there's analogies with our company and other companies. So you're a big Dodgers guy. I am. Right? Lakers, still a big Lakers guy? Yeah. yeah tough. Yeah, tough I was right a Shaq out. guy. Was Shaq treated better than any player on the team other than Kobe? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. The, that's the way it is. But they right. weren't going public with claims that they had to, you know, take steroids and do other things to keep up. I mean, I, I get it. It's it's a but it's a it's different. It's not sports. It's show business. This is a show. It, it's definitely show business. So, and I know we had discussed earlier that this will be the Will Smith, Chris Rock stuff would be old news by that time. Feel free to but slap me if you have any problems. That with this would question. be you to me, I, you know, <laughs> not me. No, but um, you literally, you have a boss that could that could slap or body slam you at any moment. Any moment. We don't we don't want any kind of problems like that. Um, but even on the Will Smith thing, like he wasn't escorted out of that room last night. Part of it was people didn't know what to do because they hadn't experienced it before. But part of it was that he's Will Smith and, you know, tough to have security, you know, grab him and toss him out of the building. So I get the position that they were in. It's the same way with us. It's a meritocracy. So if you're at the top of the card, you know, hey, maybe you have a bigger dressing room than the person at the bottom of the card. But everyone has the same opportunity to earn their way there. And you've seen people who were not stars at a prior moment. You look at me with a smile. Tell me what you're smiling. I was thinking about the next question I was going to ask, which was about The Rock, where when he left and he went mainstream, he sort of distanced himself from WWE for a while. He did a bunch of, you know, kid movies and tried to kind of mainstream himself like the Arnold Schwarzenegger path. 
And it didn't really work until he kind of embraced it, returned to the good graces of WWE, started making appearances, started doing stuff that, you know, was a little bit more him. And his career took off. To, to your point, I think he was given advice early on. Hey, get rid of the muscles. In the Get Shorty sequel, I don't remember the name of it, he pay, played, you know, sort of a soft-spoken butler-type character. So get rid of the muscles. Don't be a handsome leading man. Distance yourself from WWE. And you saw the result was like the Tooth Fairy movie. Right. Oh, God. Tough. He, to his credit, I think he— like Vince, like other people, has the unique ability to sort of see things clearly. So instead of saying, hey, this Tooth Fairy thing was great. I made X number of millions of dollars on it. It was like, this is not what I want this to be. It wasn't authentic. I wasn't authentic. The inner voice has to match the outer voice. It's the same thing with our characters, Matt. You know, Rock, John Cena, Stone Cold, Roman Reigns, who they are now is who they are in real life, just amplified. That tends to work best for us. And when you miscast someone or you cast them non-character, in my opinion, it never works in the film business or it rarely works in the film business. So when Rock saw that, to his credit, clearly, and by the way, one of the people Rock has shared with me and Vince has shared with me, Rock called Vince and said, this is not working in the acting world the way that I think it should be working. Uh, you know, I think I want to sort of reattach to WWE. I think I need to get a new agent. Vince helped him do that. And Rock was on his path I'm that sure he's, he's now like, on. Yes, now. please. Absolutely. Come on back. Absolutely. Um, Vince is a fascinating figure, and there's actually a documentary coming out on him. Is that when is that coming out? It's gonna be next year, executive produced by Bill Simmons. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yes. Synergy at work yes. right here. We're in your guys' yes. podcast room uh -huh. here, which I, I do remember this from early on when yeah. they took I think this I space. knew that. I just forgotten it. I, that was not a uh, a subtle plug uh -huh. that I just forgot. He was the executive producer of the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO, mm -hmm. which did phenomenally well. It was the highest-rated sports doc on HBO, I think, in 15, 16 years. And I yeah, think that one was good. It was good. So he's across the Vince one with us. Obviously, we're producing that as well for Netflix, uh, another buyer who we're doing good business with. Uh, that comes out next year. Vince, what a lot of people don't know, because his character, Mr. McMahon, is sort of the wealthy, you know, asshole boss, if sure. you will. Vince grew up in a trailer park, single mother, no running water in North Carolina, met his father when he was 13, and then ultimately got into his father's business, which was the wrestling business. So you have a self-made guy who's gone on this path to make billions of dollars and create an entity that you and I are sitting and talking about. Nothing but respect for a person like that. Okay. Um, so WrestleMania. Yes. I, I, I want to let you plug what's, what's on tap for this weekend. Um, how do you make these things different and feel fresh? You know, I am not a regular consumer, so whenever I happen upon it, it's fun and I like it. But, you know, these are super fans that follow the storylines. It's a soap opera. How do you keep that keep keep that fresh? So this is the first time uh, we're doing two nights of WrestleMania full capacity. Mm -hmm. So Saturday, this Saturday, April 2nd, and Sunday, April 3rd from AT&T Stadium in Dallas on Peacock in the U.S. Um, we think we have action-packed cards on both nights. We're looking to sell over 100,000 seats or for capacity of over 100,000 on Saturday and on Sunday. Without jinxing it, we're on track to do it. Next year, by the way, we're at SoFi Stadium. So we'll obviously see you there. <laughs> we already sidebarred with Simmons. We'll have Undertaker pile drive you, but oh, not too wow. hard. You know, yeah, any of those never things. never been pile drive before. Yes, that'll be the first. But, uh, I've, had many, be I've had many people threaten to pile drive me. 
Mostly agents. Well, not this agent, but not this <laughs> former agent. But yes, I can understand that too. Um, it's going to be big, man. Uh, I think Peacock will tell you they're having record viewership with us. Again, we had 1.1 million subs, give or take, in the U.S. when we had WWE Network. That's been greatly expanded since we went over to Peacock. So it's a success. You consider the Peacock deal a success. We consider it a huge success, and we think they would say the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they basically have. I mean, they have said that WWE is driving a lot of the Peacock subs. Yes, I think there was an article on Puck. I don't know if you know that site. I, I've heard of it. Talking about the success that uh, WWE and Peacock have had together also. So, yes, we think they're happy with it. And obviously the speculation is that Peacock will eventually merge or sell or do something with that service, and you guys will be along for the ride. How long is that deal? That was a five-year deal when we closed it about a year or so ago. Okay. So in four years, you'll have to figure out whether you know you want to stay or— go to somewhere else yeah look presumably like most incumbents they'll approach us at some point early yeah um and make a proposition and we have a great relationship with those folks let's who do you see deal, what do you deal with jeff shell or who do you deal with mark lazarus mm -hmm. jeff Sell, shell matt strauss bonnie hammer still francis berwick yeah those are the top yeah execs, we're across it with a lot of them pete bavacqua who is ahead of sports yeah is, is jeff shell's a big sports guy is he a wwe guy He's the CEO he, of NBC Universal. Yes, he's he's a big sports guy. He's a big <laughs> fan of our numbers. I'm not sure I'm that sure. he knows who the champ is right now. Right. But he doesn't need to. Right. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, this has been great. I want to thank Nick Khan, the president of WWE. And uh, we'll see what happens. You know what's going to happen in WrestleMania. We know. You already know. We know the surprises. So, so what is going to, I mean, don't tip the hand too much, but give us a little tease. I like the setup. Tune in Saturday night. Okay. And you will see. Tune in Sunday night. And you any, will see. Yeah. Anyone, uh, any, like, I, I actually am curious when, not, not how you do the storylines, but like how you don't go too far. Because obviously, if you keep escalating and escalating, escalating, and it becomes something that is, you know, blows up every time you do a show, that's not sustainable. That's you have, sustainable. It's like killing off the main character in every day of the soap. You can't do that every day. So you have to really pace it. But you also want to give the 100,000 people that are there something new to see. Look, WrestleMania is, I would say, our one night of the year where there is no pacing. We want it to pay off either the way people want it to pay off or the opposite way. But we want it to pay off no matter what. So th there'll be a lot of conclusions come Saturday and Sunday. What, what has been? What was the most popular or fan loved moment in WrestleMania history? Look, the Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant. Oh, but I, that was when I was watching wrestling you said history. You okay, said all right. But that, I'm history. saying like more recent history. Look, I, I think um, even last year, um, the the main event was a triple main event where Roman Reigns pinned two guys on top of one another. We seem to get a big pop out of that. There seemed to go viral on top of that. You're giggling. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Is he is Roman good. Reigns the is is he next? Is he the one that's most likely to cross over? We think he's certainly up there. Yeah. And uh, you know, we have big plans with him to help him cross over, mm -hmm. uh, which we think will be great for him and certainly great to do with him. But uh, yeah, we think that he has that. What do you think of him? I like him. Yeah. I actually know a guy who represents him, so i that's why I was at that that Friday night event. And um Seems like a charismatic guy. Isn't he the Rock's cousin? Yeah, they're, they're, it's like it's a Samoan right. dynasty. Um, there, there's a lot of connection there. And, you know, we'll see what plays out with that over time. Can we ever hope to see you in the ring? Never. That's never, never going to happen. No. I'm, I'm a behind-the-scenes guy, You look guy, pretty Matt. good in a unitard. Listen, thank you. But I used to tell you when I was an agent, hey, I think agent's name should only appear to after pay to the order of. 
I think for me, stay in the backgrounds and try to get some business done. All right. Well, I may have to have a conversation with Vince about that. Thank you. I had one last plug for you, yes. if you don't mind. Let's not forget about Young Rock, which is my sister Nanachka's show with Dwayne Johnson. Oh, right. Your sister yes. Nanachka Khan is a very successful showrunner, and she runs Young Rock? Yes. Oh. She's a co-creator. Was that, that a, a deal that you guys did together? or No. That was a wow. deal that came together before I was with WWE. Uh, WWE Rock and Nanachka graciously offered us uh, position as a producer on the show. So, you know, we're semi-involved with them, but that is their show creatively. We think it's a great show. We fully support it. Yeah, and, it's on uh, NBC. NBC, Tuesday nights. All right. Well, All right. thank you to Nick. And uh, we will tune in and watch some guys beat the crap out of each other. Thank, men and women beat men the crap out women, of Men and women, yes. Thanks for having me, man. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. All right. We are back with producer Craig and the 100% surefire probable Hollywood prediction of the day, working title. By the way, Craig, we got to pick a name. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. Um, I'm, you Can you brainstorm? I will brainstorm this week. Please, listeners, if you have ideas for what my hot take of the day should be called, please tweet me, Matt Bellany. Tweet at Craig. Craig loves your tweets. <laughs> at Craig Horlbeck. All right. And uh, we will pick a name by next Monday. Um, all right. So my prediction, Will Smith will be kicked out of the Academy for a year. So a one-year suspension from the Academy. Can, so that means, can he be nominated still or no? Because he has that big movie, Emancipation, coming out next year. The, the Academy can do whatever it wants here. Technically, if you are not in the Academy, you can be nominated for an Oscar. But I think what they will do is they will say he's not going to participate in any Academy events. He will not present next year at the, at the Oscars. And he will be ineligible to be nominated. I think they will go there and say it. They got to send a message here. Uh, you know, even the Will Smith defenders out there are, you know, they're most of them at least are saying, you know, you can't hit someone on stage like that. It's, it's, it sends a horrible message. So I think that, and the Academy members I've talked to are, are so pissed about this. So I think they've got to do it. Could be six months, but I'm guessing a year. Um, it's a big deal for this movie that he's in because it would take him out of consideration for a movie that Apple thinks is a big Academy play. They, it's a, a slave drama. He plays a, an escaped slave. He uh, lost a bunch of weight for it. They shot it over six or eight months in New Orleans. It was a really onerous shoot. You know, they had COVID and they had uh, hurricanes to deal with there. So I think that Apple had a lot of high hopes for this movie. I hope it doesn't derail the entire movie, but I think it's going to be tough for them to promote this movie with Will Smith not eligible. But we'll see. All right. Uh, we will keep track. We'll check back in in a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Nick Khan. I want to thank Craig Horbeck for producing. I want to thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.